at one point our recruiting team is like, that's nice that you have this profile that you want, but like there's not a single person that meets this profile in San Francisco that we haven't already reached out to. Welcome to Growth Unscripted. The badass professionals. The real questions. The truth behind how top execs got to where they are and how you can follow in their footsteps. Now here's your host, Beth CEO and founder, Carolyn Betts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Growth Unscripted. We have a longtime friend of mine, Matt Plank, VP of Sales at Rippling, here to join us today. So thanks for doing this, Matt. Yeah, you bet. Excited to, uh, excited to be here and have a chat. Absolutely. So uh, where, where are you in San Francisco right now? I am in San Francisco and like many uh, San Franciscans, I'm like, you know, trying to figure out how fast I can get out of here after the uh, the past six months. So in San Francisco currently, yes. Oh, okay. Well, we'll have to talk about where, where you're thinking about going. But one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show, obviously you guys have seen a lot of recent success with Rippling and, you know, we, you and I had the opportunity to work hip pocket and our teams together back in the the Zenefits days and you know wanted to hear from you about the Zenefits story and and what you guys learned and also some of the things that you are doing the same and differently now at, at Rippling. Yeah, gosh, where to where to start? I mean, you know, I was the 25th employee at Zenefits uh and the second or I guess third sales rep. Um, so, so started really early on, which, which felt really early on, but of course there was like product market fit. There was, you know, things were already starting to take off. They had recently raised the series a, I think from Andreessen, you know, fast forward to rippling where I started, I think the sixth employee in the basement of Parker's house <laughs> with, uh, you know, with no, no real, no series a funding at least. So, um, obviously started a little bit earlier, but was an early employee at Zenovitz. I mean, I was there, you know, I think from my first day to two years, we scaled from 25 to like 2000 employees or 1800 or so somewhere, somewhere at that peak. I remember we were, um, we had a, a new hire class where we had 150 SDRs that started in a single new hire class in a single month. On the same day? On the same day. It was out. Uh, I think like half of them were from like ASU or something. It was in our Phoenix office. And then literally a month later, we hired like another hundred SDRs. We kind of made this commitment. We were going to, we were going to go big on like outbound SDR. How do you train 150 people at the same time? It's wild. I mean, those were just in the SDR. Like there were still, I mean, I remember that new hire class. It was like over 200 people. I mean, we had this incredible, we had this whole team that was like, the onboarding team. Like they were just the, all they did was like, they, they managed the onboarding and it was like every month, like all these people would come in. I mean, if you think about growing from 25 to 2000 people in two years, like where do you fit them all in? You know what I mean? Even if it's a hundred people a month, like obviously it's scaled slowly. And then that second year we were scaling so quickly. Um, so it was wild. I mean, it was like, you know, we brought all those people in, I think probably three months later, there was people who were like, you know, brand new out of college. They're like, never mind, I don't want to be an SDR. I remember specifically we had someone who, Why who left. Why would they want to like, be an SDR? <laughs> I remember specifically we had someone who left and they're like, I want to be a scuba instructor. That's what they what they wanted to do. So, you know, people earlier in their careers, it was it was really fun. But obviously it's hard to manage any kind of it's hard to scale any process. Like I think we I think we proved that you can scale too fast and that was it. I don't know. There might have been some point well beyond that, but 150 people 
in a given month in one role was definitely like too fast. Oh, unlike people that have never done this before, right? Yeah. Because I know you interviewed, did you interview all 150 of those people? No, so so at the time I was running our our enterprise sales team, which was, um, you know, our largest kind of revenue generating team. There was about 40 people on my team, four managers. And we were at our, at our time, we were hiring about, or sorry, we were interviewing about five people a day. And so that was just in the enterprise role. So we would literally, you know, it was like the day on top of managing all of the reps. And I mean, it wasn't just like, we're growing, we're busy. It was like every rep had had four or five calls on their calendar every single day. Most of them were new. And so you have this 40 people on your team. Half of them are like brand new calls all day long. There's everyone's closing deals. You're dealing with people in implementation. It was like chaotic and like a very fun way. But I remember when we were interviewing at one point our recruiting team was like, that's nice that you have this profile that you want, but like, there's not a single person that meets this profile in San Francisco that we haven't already reached out to. So like either your profile needs to change or you need to be willing to hire people outside of San Francisco, but we were hiring or interviewing 25 people a week just across like my single team, which is insane when you think about the preparation that goes into, that should go into like a proper interview you know, it was just like, it was bad. Everybody was five minutes late. Everybody was, you know, like everybody was backed up the whole day. It was, it was at their chaotic. background, you know, okay, who are you? What? Okay. Yeah, totally. You're coming. I mean, it was funny. Cause like at the time we didn't really have a great plan for like what you're even looking to do. So we would, first time I'd ever interviewed somebody really was like at, at Zenefits. And so you've got a lot of new managers. And so you come in and you're asking questions and it's like the next person might ask the same questions. Like obviously over time, we like got much better at that when we hired real kind of infrastructure around this stuff in house. Um, but yeah, it's crazy to think about now when I think about rippling and growing fast and it's just like, it doesn't even remotely compare to what those days were like. Well, it's so funny. Cause I, I still, I remember that too, where <laughs> it's like <laughs> when somebody on our, on our team was like, everyone's heard of Zenefits, you know, they, they've either interviewed there and didn't get the job or they didn't and they don't want to work there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And that was kind of the the narrative. I'm like, I, well, maybe they changed their mind. Why don't you give them a call? They just got another round of funding. They seem to be doing great. Uh, well, yeah, it wasn't exactly like insurance HR startup was like not the sexiest thing, you know, for sure. Like early on, it was actually hard. It was it was hard to hire people because we were. I mean, we were we're like, yeah, you got to get hired. You got to get licensed as an insurance broker, and like we pay you commissions based on like this insurance revenue and people were like, oh, how does that work? Like I'm used to selling like, you know, like SAS, like ARR. And obviously our revenue was like, a, we were kind of uh, acting as if it, it were a SAS company, but the revenue was really coming from in the insurance commissions. And so it was hard to relate to people, talk about a comp plan, all that kind of stuff. And then obviously we hit this, this crazy peak where then it was like, everybody, you know, wanted to work there. It was like very easy to hire people, but we were just hiring so fast. It was hard to find enough people to interview you know, to feel like you were getting like the right, the right person for the role. I still remember where I met Parker at Disrupt. Okay. This is probably around the time that you, st- no, it was pre-series A. Yeah. And yeah before came, I started. Yeah. He came up to my booth at, and it was in Manhattan at the Disrupt in Manhattan. And we had a booth and we'd never sponsored anything like that before. And, and I realized yeah. pretty quickly when I was there that like, in my mind, none of these companies <laughs> be successful, right? They all have the next unicorn, blah, blah, blah. And so Parker walks up to my booth and he was so nice, but he was just like 
so excited about what was happening. And, you know, this is going to be the next unicorn. We're going to be hiring all these people. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you guys did. And it was it was a lot of fun. He made some infamous comment at that Tech Rep concert that, or Tech Rep Disrupt conference that was about, um, like, I'm going to drink the broker's milkshake. This literally like, <laughs> like lived with him forever because at the time he was like, look, we were a three person company. We were just like trying to get, you know, anybody to pay attention. I remember two years later, it was like all these, you know, broker outlets were writing about this guy, like, you know, trying to make Parker kind of into the, the villain that he was not. Um, but they were talking about like, this guy said, he's going to drink your milkshake, like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he competed against him. And Parker always, it's like, they wrote about it. Like he said that when we were a multi-billion dollar company, he's like, no, I said that when, when we were three, three people, people just trying to get any attention we could. Right. And I've never heard that exact saying. I, I have a feeling it means kind of like I'm going to eat their lunch. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In a different way. Yeah. So obviously huge growth story, super, super fun, amazing team. Uh, a lot of people that experience put them and their career on the map. And yeah. so, you know, in your opinion, what happened? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it's no secret. Like anyone that's been in a company where you've hired five, 10, 15, 20 people at a time, you, you see like how yeah, it sounds, even that number sounds kind of crazy. You can imagine hiring like a hundred or 200 is just chaos, you know, for a company that hasn't been around long enough to really develop a process. But at the end of the day, I mean, there's this sensational kind of headlines and all the stuff about benefits that is mostly like inaccurate and told from people that were, that were not inside, inside the company, inside the walls. The reality was, you know, benefits in the early days, the very early value prop was like, look, it's a single system. You come in, you onboard somebody and they kind of like magically appear in all these other places, like your payroll system and your insurance carrier websites. And the reality was in the early days, those systems didn't have like API carriers didn't have APIs to just like seamlessly push data. Payroll companies don't want you to push data into their system. Like they want to control it themselves. So getting that data to sync from benefits to all those systems was like maybe 75% automated, right? Or maybe even 80 or whatever. And over time it got great. It got higher. But the reality was there was always some part of that process that couldn't be fully automated. And so you built, you put humans around it. Right. And when you put humans around like a manual process, um, you tend to kind of like, you know, mask over like the, the real deficiencies and like the auto sudden you're kind of like, oh, it's automated. It's 80% plus a human. And then you scale <laughs> it up. And over time, it's like humans make mistakes. You can't, you got to hire a lot of them. You can't hire enough of them. And so I think the ultimate. They quit. They get fired. They, you they know. Quit, they get fired. Yeah. They get burned out for sure. And so over time, it was like <clears throat> we had this shiny sales, you know, uh, pitch. Um, but over time it was like the operational complexity of like keeping up with that aligned with like the incredible growth, it just kind of broke, you know, it was just got to a point where it was, you couldn't automate it anymore. The business wasn't slowing down at all. And things kind of came to a head where I think it was, you know, and then there's, there's lots of other stuff outside of that, that again, are like those, that the, the, the cart, the wheels on the cart were kind of shaking when that stuff was happening well before, you know, all the other kind of things and benefits that are like the BuzzFeed style articles that came out and all that kind of stuff was was like several months after like the cart got a little wobbly because we were just growing so fast. Well, the articles were entertaining, right? It's always great when uh, you can make a tech company seem like a tabloid and yeah. uh, people eat that shit up. Obviously, you kind of felt like probably had that, uh-oh, 
moment or many of them. But, you know, fill me in on like the first time when you're like, this is not good. Yeah, I am obviously like, you know, I wouldn't say I'm I'm Parker's number one fan. I'm sure he's got some big fans, but like I'm a big <laughs> I'm a big Parker Conrad guy, right? I mean, you I'm, wouldn't I'm, have, I'm you wouldn't have done rippling with him if <laughs> I'm, you weren't. I'm one of them. <laughs> uh, so like you know, I'm a I'm a big Parker guy, and I I I believe the vision of Parker like Zenefits was more Parker's vision than it than it, it it's like there was something. So my my point is like the day that I got an email that was Parker was like, hey, I'm stepping down that was like a very like, Oh shit moment for me, you know, like things were kind of wobbly and it was hard and it was challenging. I mean, maybe right before that, it was like, I remember we had all these deals on the finish line, you know, a month was going okay. It was getting harder, but all of a sudden it was like, all these deals were just like, Oh, sorry. Like we got to pause this evaluation. It was like, Oh my God, like what, what do we do? You know, like the demos in our calendar are like pausing the, the demos are starting to trickle in more slowly. All that was happening. Uh, meanwhile, when, when it was really, when I got an email from Parker that was like, Hey, I'm stepping down. I was just like, I was so much closer to Parker and understanding like what that actually meant. It was kind of a moment for me where I was like, Whoa, whoa this is, this is like pretty big, you know, this is going to change the company for sure. in like a very major way. Uh, and then Sam, my mentor, you know, Sam Blonde, who's our VP of sales and my mentor, you know, left like very soon after that, which was kind of writing was on the wall, but when that happened, it was kind of like, man, that was, I followed him there. You know, that was, that was my guy. So I'd say right around that time, it was like, this is going to be a different company. You know, you say you are, you know, one of Parker's biggest fans. And you know, what is it about Parker that makes you his biggest fan? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, Parker is the most like authentic leader you can imagine. And I don't know, like, I, granted, he's like the, the, the only, you know, I've been on this ride with him for, you know, essentially seven and a half years, although obviously there was a, a year kind of hiatus where I was at Zenefits and he wasn't. <laughs> um, but what you like, Parker's going to give it to you super straight, sometimes too straight, right? Like, the, you know, like, uh, sometimes there's certain conversations there where, you know, we're, we're like two rhinos kind of, kind of butting heads, but he's just like, he brings the best out of you and everybody around you, like his expectations are incredibly high. And so it's not to like make a a cheesy analogy, but like if you're an athlete, you know, and you, and you hear it's like, you're an athlete and you're the best and you're the best at whatever you are. It's like, oftentimes the story of you growing up was like, you had coaches that really drove you hard. And like, you know, it's like a Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, right? Like nobody thinks Bill Belichick's like the, the, their best friend in the world, but like, man, he's an amazing genius of sorts. Right. So I think not to say that Parker and I obviously are friends and have a great relationship. It's not the real football analogy, <laughs> but I think Parker just like demands this, like this level, this bar that is like almost like, it's like, you can't quite reach it. Like jump as high as you can. Like right when you start to like nick it with your fingertips, like the bar just goes up a little bit, you know? And like, eventually you'll like learn how to jump higher, <laughs> you know, like you have to. And so I think for me, as a salesperson that's kind of coin operated in that way, it's like you're used to like, there's goals, there's bars, you hit them, you succeed them, whatever. Like that works really well for me. And so I, I think he's just someone who's helped me tremendously in my career, just kind of, um, ex, you know, like achieve more than I probably could have if somebody wasn't like pushing me quite hard enough. And so if I called, you know, just pick cold called, picked up the phone or, or maybe talked to one of the people that we introduced to you guys or a friend that I haven't worked there, what would they say your leadership style is? Like, why did they work for you? For me personally, um, good question. Um, I like to think that 
something that's important to me. Uh, and I, I don't know, like what I think about when I go to the next company, you know, hopefully I don't ever have to go to another company, but maybe I will. Uh, when you think about that, <laughs> hopefully like, you have that massive exit that your investors that's are, right, that's uh, right. I'd love to just be like, on. I was on a beach <laughs> 10 years from now. Um, but uh, one thing that's true about Rippling, at least, is like I was selling the two-person companies in Parker's basement. Like I was doing demos. I was building the sales script. I was literally, I was the SDR. I was writing the marketing emails. Like I was sending, I, I bought Marketo and implemented it. Like I was doing everything that I could. And so I think when you do that, the sales team, they respect you in some way because they're like, look, you, there's no job that you wouldn't do. There's no call that you won't get on. There's no, you're not too big or... I have zero ego when it comes to that kind of stuff. And so, you know, again, like I don't, I highly doubt if I ever work at another company that I'll be selling the two person companies in the basement, but something about the Zenefits experience and the rippling experience together, I think that most people that work for me would, would acknowledge that like, you know, Plank is what everybody calls me. They like Plank's done it before. He's been in the shoes that like I'm walking in, in this exact role at this company. And so whatever he's asking me to do is something that like he would himself do, you know, and then he would expect of himself and then he expects of me. And I think um, it's hard to do that as you get to big, the bigger the company, the bigger the level role, whatever, it's hard to come in at that foundation. But I think for me, if I ever went to a company again, I would absolutely be like, let me close some deals. Like, let me get on a demo. Let me learn how to like sell this thing and, and you know, be that for a day or a week or a month. I think that's just there's something about that that gives you kind of like a connection with, the, with the rest of the people at the company. <laughs> you get street cred. <laughs> get street cred for sure. Yeah. As long as you can, you can close the deals. It's funny, Matt Epstein, our CMO, who was our VP of marketing at, at Zenefits. Oh yeah. Uh, he, he came into Zenefits. He sold a bunch of deals early on before they hired Sam. And so when he came to Rippling, we were like already kind of rocking and rolling a little bit. I mean, we were still very small, but like, you know, we had some product market fit. And uh, Parker was like, I need Matt to sell like 10 deals here. <laughs> and Pepsi was kind of like, eh, like, you know, like, sure, I could do it. I did it as benefits. And I remember uh, I was kind of like, I don't really want you to do that. Like, I want my sales team to take these demos. There's like not that many demos, you know, like right. you, you don't even, you, you don't know the pitch. You just started. But Parker was adamant, like throw them in there, put them on some calls. And so I put them on like one demo that was like a terrible fit. You could tell from the notes, it was just like not going to be a good demo. And I put him on the demo and he kind of like stuttered through the pitch. It was hilarious. And then afterwards we were like, okay, that's checks the box for us. Like, you're good. We can tell everybody that we hire after this. Like the CMO has like taken some demos here. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting when you work hip pocket, and I keep using that term, but when you work side by side with the team, right? It, it's, it's easy to understand the challenges that they're going through and also the opportunities of how uh, little tweaks can make a huge difference. And when I decided to start doing this, you know, these conversations with people and I remembered when you came into my office, when you guys, when you just started at Rippling and you're like, we're going to hire people. And you looked at me and you're like, but this company is not going to be like that. It's, it's a completely yeah. different company. And I'm like, I don't, I loved Zenefits. Are you kidding me? But what is it? Like, what are the things that now that you guys are building, you now that you're kind of have another chance, another opportunity, fill me in. Yeah. Anybody that worked at Zenefits, I think probably came into their next op. Anybody that was an early employee at Zenefits and was there for like all of the success and then happened to stay or, or not for some part of the, you know, the, the downfall or the slowdown or whatever you want to call it. 
um, I think I, it's impossible for me at least to go to my next opportunity and be like, man, this has to work. You know, like I'd put three and a half years, almost four years of like incredible, like blood, sweat and tears into the opportunity and walked away with lots of experience, but like little in the way of what everyone that joins a startup that's a $4 billion company expects, <laughs> you know, like the value of your equity, the outcome of like the blood, sweat and the tears, like you don't expect to walk away with like just the experience. <laughs> um, although I will be very clear that like <laughs> Zenefits, what, what happened at Zenefits for sure is like, uh, the best thing that ever happened to me, obviously, right? Like becoming the VP of sales at Rippling has of course been like the most exciting thing in my career. So, but, but I think when you, you have that opportunity, like you just approach everything in a way where you're like, man, we've got to make this right. We've got to set like the right foundation. Like one of the things back to what you said earlier was what was part of the, you know, like what happened there. And it's like, we grew all these, all these people so quickly. We had a massive remote office. Like we kind of lost our like foundation, our identity, our, the connection to like the mothership, you know, even though we opened up these offices and everybody kind of formed like their own identity. And so at Rippling, we've been very methodical about our approach to when we hire people, like, can we, you know, do we have enough of what we need to support them, whether that's, you know, demos for the salespeople or enough customers for implementation or the right amount of customers. Like um, we try to grow in like little spurts, right? It's, it's like, we want to look at, you know, in sales, at least we look at every other month we kind of bring in like classes that started about the same time across the business. Uh, and so there's just, we have a lot of people, we have a, a model, a plan, we talk about it, we have a lot of conversation about it. And then we like make a decision and we execute like very, very, very quickly. And then we kind of do that over and over again. Like I'd say every two months up until COVID, we had like a very steady drumbeat, you know, of every two months, like hiring people, making sure everybody got ramped. We hit quota like everything was fine. And then we would like go do it again. And we kind of do that over and over. Whereas at Zenefits, it was just like the door was open and it was like, you know, the water was just rushing in like at all times. Yep. So one of the things that I've noticed for a long time, like if you weren't in certain geographic markets, you know, you didn't have what it took to be successful. You know, the, the stereotype was that you didn't have what it took to be successful in technology sales. And now, you know, you guys came to us along with many, many, many other companies. And it used to be, we want people in New York and San Francisco. Now, you guys with this SDR search, SDRs, by the way, you know, like not experienced enterprise salespeople in territory, anywhere but New York and San Francisco is what yeah. you said to us. So, you know, yeah. complete polar opposite, 180. Why? Yeah. Um, this company's always had, in a, like, we have a 130 or something engineers in our Bangalore office, right? So you've got a big office in Bangalore, India, and that's always made us operate in some remote world, right? I mean, different, complete opposite ends of the world in terms of time zone, uh, and so from day one, I mean, really, we had like 40 people in India before we had 10 people in the US. So we kind of, from the very get go had seeds of like, communicating, you know, outside of the office and building relationships and all that kind of stuff. Um, as the sales team started to grow, uh, we were, of course, hiring here specifically, but um, we were lucky that, you know, many of our early account executives came from uh, competitors, obviously, a lot of people that came from Zenefits. Uh, and then several people that came from like industry competitors. And so the problem at Zenefits, why we didn't do it is we had to like hire people and then teach them how to become like an insurance broker, which yeah. was just completely new, hard concept. It was very hard to ramp people. And then, you know, right when they were ramped, it was like, okay, boom, you're talking to like a 350 person company 
like their insurance broker that they have is like got 40 years of experience or something, right? So there was a really big learning curve. And so at Rippling, we were lucky early on, we started hiring uh, remote people as they came with, they came from a competitor, but that was kind of like my bars. Like, look, if you come from a competitor, you could be anywhere. If you're coming from outside the industry, like I want it to be here. But after we started to do that and all of a sudden there was, you know, a few reps here, a few reps there, it started to just kind of open it up a little bit. And for the SDR search in particular, um, once everybody moved remote in March, we hired some people that were in San Francisco in March. They started in March. We had a class in January and a class in March. And then as COVID went on and everyone was in the like lockdown, those people went back to wherever. They went back to where they were from, LA. There was a couple of people that were kind of all over the country and they were just crushing it. I had this, this girl, um, uh, Ingrid on our team, who's uh, an SDR, I think we hired in March. She wasn't even in the office for more than two weeks, right? And she's just, you know, accelerated, phenomenal. And seeing that was just very opening to us. I was like, hmm, why not try to hire this next class? We hired a class of six a month ago or so. And they're all across the country in completely different places. Like you said, our, our parameters were outside of California and New York from a cost structure perspective. Um, we didn't want to hire folks in California at lower comp who would take it because the times were unique and different. Like we wanted to hire people that would be very comfortable with the comp wherever they were, um, but that it would allow us to kind of build the team at a lower cost structure. Uh, whereas a lot of people might open an office in Phoenix or Salt Lake or Denver or whatever, there's still a lot of overhead with doing that. Our belief is that if you build a big team somewhere else, sometimes that team, that office can like build its own identity completely separate from the company. Whereas if you hire people remote and like once a quarter, you fly everybody in for a week, uh, then all of a sudden they start to get like, the, they get the identity of the company, you know, of our company, the kind of core, the core kind of headquarter, if you will. So anyways, that was the idea. It's been three months in, not even three months in, you know, since I think they all started back in August. And so far it's, it's like, it doesn't feel weird because we're ramping everybody remote. You know, we have sales reps that live here and they're remote too. So it feels very natural, but if we can make it work, I think it is, you know, it means a lot for what we can do moving forward. I mean, we even have a, a an SDR team in India that's uh, in Bangalore as well. So all of our US SDRs are paired with an SDR in India and I mean, yeah, they schedule 120 demos a month. Like they're just firing on, on all cylinders. And it's, it's, so it's been a really good partnership for us. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Per person? Yeah, per person, per person. In and I mean, also, 100, they have per team. So there's two of them on a team. But yeah, I mean, they, I mean, obviously we do a ton of like um, a lot of those demos are Marketing. either email responses or they're you know, coming from whatever different paid channels, you know, website requests. So they're not like picking up the phone, cold calling people. That's like a very different world. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, I mean, I've never met an SDR team that was scheduling more than, you know, 30, 40, 50 a month for inbound at best. Most are like, you know, 20, 30, something like that. Um, so it's pretty wild, but um, it's another one of the big reasons too, why you have to tap into a recruiter. Like I can't, I, you know, I have a network here, but when you're trying to hire people, like anywhere outside of where I have a network, Obviously, our ability to tap into uh, a partner like Betts was like instrumental in our ability to do that. I and mean, we need to hire people very quickly. And so I think, you know, it's, it's to me, it makes the role of uh, the role of recruiter like that much more important if you think to yourself like, okay, now I actually specifically want to target people outside of the areas where I've built the network in my career. 
how do, I don't know how you would do that without without having you know without a partnership with a recruiter and people that are different than the people right because I think that a lot of times oh. with the you know hey send your friends right like you, know, you guys work together uh, you start yeah. to all look the same yeah <laughs> right yeah for sure and, uh, for sure I mean we you know we're really uh, like I think many companies um, you know we make a big effort to, to try to build diversity and inclusion into our hiring practices, both at the, it's easy to say like, okay, we want to hire, you know, more diversity, but like, you're right. If it was very easy early on to hire a bunch of people for my network and and you're right. Like a lot of those people, they look, they start to look the same and all of a sudden you get 20 and you look back and you're like, wow, you know, like I, now it takes some time to like grow out of that. And so I think, you know, of our six SDR hires, we hired, um, you know, five females, bunch of different nationalities mixed in there, like across the whole country. And it totally is, um, you know, planting little seeds of diversity that if you do that, uh, you got to make a conscious effort to do it a couple of times over. And then you look back and you're like, okay, now I've got like the mix that makes our company better. That brings different culture and ideas and perspective and all that kind of stuff. So totally. um, it was really, really helpful to do that. And I think it's a lot easier when you're starting fresh. Once you get to a certain size and you're at a critical mass, it's hard to make any change because in order to do that, you have to get rid of, you know, it, it you, but when you are yeah. at a new company, right, it's a yep. fresh start. You have an opportunity to do things differently and to look back on what worked, what didn't. And at Fets, you know, we had to go through pretty massive downsizing due to COVID and, you know, we're a self-funded yeah. company and, um, and it, it, I think now that we're rebuilding again and every it's crazy how fast things came back, right? And yeah. how quickly yeah. people adapt and change. You know, before this, if you know, I, I'm sure, I don't know if it was, but a lot of companies, if we had said, oh, yeah, everyone's going to be remote, you're going to hire, you're going to train, you're not going to have people in person, they would be like, you're, you're crazy. This yeah. is, oh, yeah. those, that's for those companies, not our company or whatever it is. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, I, I also see this as um, an opportunity for our company to continue to do things better. And um, so anyway, I, I really appreciate how uh, that's how you guys have done things. Uh, yeah, it, it forces your hand. Like I can tell you the biggest fans of the the kind of cultural shift are the the re employees who were remote before, right? Mm -hmm. The like three or four or five sales reps who like had a hard time getting their manager, or, like all hands started late, you know, every sales meeting started late. Now it's like, we're on time, everyone's there, cameras are on, we're super engaged. So I, it's definitely trained us forever. Like no matter, obviously, hopefully some, at some point things go back to close to normal, but it for sure will forever change the way that we think about uh, where people need to be and, and, and the access to talent and all that kind of stuff. I still remember watching our all hands from San Francisco in Austin. And I was here, um, you know, just spending time in our office here. And I'm like, oh my God, this is sucks like this yeah. is how it is for you guys every time totally. as we're yeah. all like on the stage and talking and when we first went into covid and shelter in place i made the decision that even you know when we go back to the office um and uh, we're gonna do it this way forever we'll have work from home wednesday and so you know we're, we're obviously all still still working from home but um yeah so you know what is obviously tons of tons of money in the bank you guys have you know 
kick-ass product. What's what's next? What are you, what are you guys up to? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I you know we are. Um, I I think there there's kind of a couple of parallel tracks, and I won't go like deep into the um, like the product feature set and stuff that we're working on. Oh, but please I mean, do. Can us, you show us a demo on this uh, podcast? Yeah, also? yeah. <laughs> like, let me whip out my demo. It's been a while. Um, but no, I mean, you know, we are um, for us. You know, Q four is like a crazy busy time. Um, we've got a like really, really exciting product announcement we'll be doing in like the next three to four weeks or so. I'll, I'll tease it out there. Um, but Q4 for us is a big time. So like we hired a big class, uh, we hired probably 15, 20 people across sales and implementation in the past like month and a half. And those people are kind of all now like ramped, like in the demo router, ready to go. And so for the next three weeks for us, we're really kind of hunkering down. It'll be a big spike for us because Q4 is always is a, is a company that sells payroll. People are often looking to switch then. And, uh, and <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, and then in, in January, uh, I expect us to probably hire, you know, somewhere between 15 to 25, you know, new people kind of like inject into the company. And for us, it's like every two months, we'll go back to what we were doing pre-COVID, which is like every two months, a steady drumbeat of like add a bunch of people in, get them all trained up for two months, like rinse and repeat. Um, and, you know, we've got really high expectations and aspirations for for what next year looks like. I mean, Parker would tell you like we didn't we didn't raise money because we we, you know, like to your point, we've got we had plenty of money in the bank. We had, you know, two plus years of runway, I think almost three years of runway. Um, at the current size. So we didn't need to do it, but the time was right. The, the partners, you know, and founders fund were right. The offer was right. So we did it. And I think now it definitely does allow us to go back into like the pre COVID mode where we're investing, you know, more aggressively in sales and marketing. Engineering is huge for us. 50%, like 60, 55% of our company are engineers. I mean, we're 300 people almost. And we have like 150 engineers. That is an insane ratio for most companies. And it's because we're building all these like little companies, you know, little products like inside of one company. Uh, so we have lots of independent teams. And so for us, we're hiring awesome engineering talent anywhere we can find them, hiring product managers. Uh, and I think next year we're going to look to grow really aggressively again on the, on the kind of sales and marketing side. I love the, uh, you know, try something, it works, do it again, right? The the, the trial and repeat, I guess. Uh, and yeah. I'm sure if it doesn't work, it's like, okay, we'll scrap that and on to the next. We have this like very specific model, you know, that's, I mean, like people think about like, how do you build this or that? It's like, it's not, for me, it's not that hard. Like for marketing, like they commit to a number of demos that they deliver, right? And like the demos just trickle down. It's like, how many demos do we need per rep? Like that's how many reps we're going to hire, you know, and there's a ratio, like it's never going to be perfect. Like you always have, it feels like too many demos are not enough, but marketing has like, we're going to spend the money, but we can't guarantee you how many demos we're going to get because it doesn't work like that in marketing. Whereas I'm like, look, if you give me the demos, I guarantee you, like we're going to get the revenue. Yep. And so, um, you know, me and Matt Epstein, our CMO, like we sit down every month, we go through the recap, we see like how many demos did we get per rep? And we make a decision, like, is it enough that we're comfortable like hiring the next batch or is it like not enough? You know, we, we probably want to like keep going another month or whatever. And every month he's kind of like, oh, I don't know if we should do it. You know, I don't know if we should do it. And I'm kind of like, we have to do it. You know, we got to get the quota capacity. And right. <laughs> we kind of talk it out and pretty much every month we end up like, okay, like marketing's going to go. Marketing by nature, like has to be a little over their skis 
because they're ultimately predicting what's going to happen in two months. And I got to hire people now that to, to, to absorb the demos in two months. And so you have to have this window where like you both, you know, marketing commits to what they'll do. We hire the team to fill. Um, so that's, we, we've, we've gotten very comfortable with like that exact process and that motion. And we're both very clear if the plan says we need more revenue, but like the demos aren't going to be there, like we're not going to hire the reps. Yeah. Time right. Out. Cause you just, you end up just pulling away from, you add two new brand new people on the bottom of your stack of reps and you're just taking away from, you know, your number one rep who needs enough, you know, pipeline to, to be able to make it work. And so that's a really bad way to scale a company to just keep adding, you know, bodies that equal quota to kind of get to your plan. If there's not enough pipeline to feed them, you're actually, you're doing worse than adding people that don't have pipeline. Cause you're like taking pipeline away from, you know, your most senior reps. And I've seen a lot of companies, it feels good on paper to like add somebody with a quota into your spreadsheet and be like, see, we're going to close more revenue now, <laughs> but you got to be real with yourself if, if you've got enough to support them. For sure. Yeah. It's always interesting, right? Because you want to make sure they're fed, but also that they're able to process and get through the whole process. It's like this uh, pendulum balancing it, 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 act. And- 100%. <laughs> I can possibly like in my experience, every team I've ever had, the reps are either like, there's like, feels like I'm like gagging on demos. There's like, there's too much here. I can't, I can't, I'm like running like a hamster on a wheel or they're like, Oh my God, we need more demos. Like I don't have enough demos. It's, it's like very hard. Goldilocks. To, Gold, there's a lot of Goldilocks in, in the, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think somebody that ran a, a sales organization was like, we need more leads, you know, too many leads, leads suck, wrote that book, Goldilocks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so, well, okay. So at the beginning, uh, this is the last question, and then I'll, you know, yeah. let you get on with failing a unicorn company. You said you're trying to get out. Where, where are you going to go? Uh, <laughs> we are, uh, my wife and I are looking at like the East Bay. So somewhere in kind of Lafayette, Arinda, you know, Walnut Creek, Alamo, somewhere on the other side of the Caldecott Tunnel. Huh. Okay, I thought you might be moving out here in Texas. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I've been I've been born and raised in Northern California my entire life, so I don't envision leaving California. But I've been in San Francisco for about 13 years. I moved here like two weeks after I graduated college, and you know I've lived in I've lived in every part of San Francisco that you start in the marina and working your way all the way down to Soma. But you know we've been here long enough that I think it's. It's uh, we were kind of looking before COVID, but certainly being locked in like a like a one bedroom apartment with your wife who's on the phone all day, every day. You're kind of like we could use some more space, <laughs> right? <laughs> we could use a little bit more. Yeah, so um, it'll be exciting. Looking looking forward to that. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me. Great to see you. And yeah, um, yeah hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, absolutely, we'll have to catch up soon. Growth Unscripted is powered by Bets. From fully customizable end-to-end recruiting services to a platform featuring 15,000 vetted job-seeking professionals, Bets connects the most extraordinary go-to market talent with the most innovative companies in the world. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes with badass executives and check us out at BetsRecruiting.com for more information on how we build companies. 